Hey, what's up, friends? How are you? I hope you're well. We got a great show for you today. Welcome to Simply Cyber Live. I'm your host, Gerald Ozier. And over, I don't know, the next hour or so, we're going to be diving deep into a really, really interesting topic that is so germane to the way that society operates today. It's around surveillance, capitalism, capitalism, and really uh, privacy associated with that. We've got a regular guest. He is a real person for those of you who thought he was a, a creation of my imagination. Charles Finfrock. Uh, the man has a lifetime of experience. He's very, very smart on things, not just crypto. And he is going to be our guest really digging into surveillance capitalism and the depths at which it goes. Now, folks, surveillance capitalism is an economic system centered around the capture and commodification of personal data for the core purpose of profit making. So if the products that you are using are free, then you are the product, okay? And what happens to all that data and where does it go? We're gonna get into it. I'm super excited. Sit back, relax, and get ready for a good time. We'll see you in a minute. What's up, Charles? How are you, man? I'm outstanding. How about yourself? I'm good. We've got a great show. Everybody's in chat. Oh my gosh. Oh, of course the dogs, the dogs upset that I didn't introduce them. I'll have to take care of that in a moment, but uh, it's good to see you, Charles. How have you been since you were last on the show? Oh, I've been outstanding, Jerry. I've been uh, super busy and uh, thinking a lot about surveillance capitalism and thinking about privacy and thinking about my information and just thinking about the world, man. All right. Well then let's not wait and we'll dive in. Now, guys, remember if you're if you're regular here, then you know the routine. But if you're new here, or you're just checking it out. If you're live, we love for you guys to engage with our guests. Charles has a lot of information. If he says something interesting and you have a question about it, drop it in chat with a cue. I will flag it. And when, when the time is right, I will bring it on stage and ask your question of our guest. I am merely here for facilitating and uh, extracting information uh from charles for all of you so charles dig in right away like let's just go ahead and define surveillance capitalism what does it mean to you and what should people care about here yeah so for me when i think of surveillance capitalism it's all the data that we put off that companies are collecting and then reselling uh, reselling to other people for advertising purposes reselling to other people for whatever purposes that are still there i am always bullish ahmed cryptocurrency <laughs> i love it love it love it all right, hold on, hold on. Just, just, just to get it out of the way. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. There we go. The very own crypto evangelist. Yes. Oh man, there it is. You were. I'm telling you, back the truck up as much as you can afford. <laughs> Not investment, tax, or legal advice. Just my own personal thoughts. All right. So check it, Jerry. For me, data. And again, I'm obviously stealing this for people that are much smarter than me. But data is the new oil, mm -hmm. right? Companies that are able to get into data are the richest companies in the world. This is the Gettys of the world now. This is the the Rockefellers of the world. These are the Carnegies of the world, right? The Zucks, the Bezos, the Musks, all the people that are generating just tons of money, right? But instead of the poor earth being drilled relentlessly mm -hmm. for its oil without its, you know, without being willing or witting, uh, now they're drilling into us. Every bit of convenience that we have, every new gadget, every new widget, every new free application that they give us, they are mining into our lives to extract data that they turn around and sell for profit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, okay, fine. I'll buy that. 
But it's what people are doing with the data on the other end that makes me a little bit anxious. Uh, and I just real quick before I forget, I love this. It says, you know, uh, uh, I wrote this note down that, you know, we're living in a time when we have more free access to tools than we ever had in history. What mm -hmm. a great time to be alive, <laughs> except that in doing so, it's this Faustian bargain where you're selling your soul for a free app or for some more social connection or some more social, some more uh, 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 easy access to data and things like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would argue, though, even if they were charging for, you know, Gmail, for example, if Gmail was five bucks a month, I, I really feel that they'd still be harvesting the data. It's like they're giving it away because charging five bucks a month wouldn't dent their revenues if all the users paid five bucks a month because the, the primary vehicle of their revenue generation is selling that data. So... Mm -hmm five bucks a month or zero bucks a month, it's, it's, it, you know, it'll just cover the next fine for privacy violations. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, a hundred percent, a hundred percent and services you pay for, they're mining data out of that. And who's they, right? When we yeah. say they, I always say that we're talking about big tech and it's like, oh, the they's, well, the they's in this case are Twitter or Facebook or Amazon or all of the app makers, all of the people then that buy that data as data aggregators and then sell it in the secondary market to people that are uh, uh, using it for other purposes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. If you paid for it, they would take the data, but they give it away for free because it broadens the access. Now everybody can have access to the data or access to the, the platforms and the services, which is great because it in increases their sample size. And increases their amount of data that they're able to, you know, their oil wells that they're able to drill, data drill. Yeah. And I mean, so what is, what are your, you know, I guess, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about was like yep. the depths of surveillance capitalism. I mean, is it exclusively just these, these apps and this kind of internet connected uh, device? Like what type of kind of um, surveillance or, or, or data aggregation might mm -hmm. surprise people that is being collected and, and utilized as a valuable asset yeah a, a gr great great question do let's just walk through a day in the life just for grins right so you wake up in the morning you check your phone uh now the time that you picked up that phone everything from the accelerometer and the gyroscope on your phone and when you checked it and how you checked it and what time you're awake okay that's that's collected now what app do you go to first and how long do you spend on there you know maybe it's your facebook maybe it's your linkedin maybe it's your email maybe you're checking stock reports all that stuff's reported mm -hmm. now you go to the bathroom you do all that stuff you come out my favorite are the apps that have the accelerometers where they determine when you're using it like when it goes from uh, vertical to horizontal yeah not that anyone ever goes into the bathroom to use their smartphone and it shifts to a horizontal perspective when you're sitting down <laughs> thinking but okay so now we're out of that now let's go out to our, you know, let's go out to our car, right? Uh, so we get to our nice Tesla or anything really these days. So here we are, right? So we're driving. I start the car. Now I log into my satellite radio and, the, you know, the stations I'm programming there are being captured. And then I drive my car and all the telematics are getting thrown off there. Now my car knows if I drive to work by myself or if I drive to work with somebody else. And, you know, how or, much if, you stop, or if you stop off on your way to work somewhere particular, if a I Shell gas station versus a Chevron gas station. Exactly. Because, and my phone's tweeting all that out. Now I've stopped at a toll road and that information's collected and, and all that. And then we get to the office and then it kind of goes. So for me, I think it's not really as much what is collecting as much as it's everything's collecting. 
And I think it's really hard for people to get their minds around that. They're thinking, well, but if I'm not engaging with an app on my phone, then it's not collecting and reporting information about me. And that is absolutely incorrect. Uh, your phone is collecting and reporting on you, whether you're using it, not using it, whether it's asleep, whether it's charged in, whether it's it just, it, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's, you can do it yourself if you're technically inclined, or I'm sure there's videos on YouTube where you can find it. Uh, you know, you, you connect your phone to a wireless network that you have control of, and mm -hmm. you feed through a, a packet sniffer. You know, the app's just sitting there, and you feed a packet through a packet sniffer, and you watch the data just fly out, and you're like, there's nothing going on on this device, but it's still sending data out. Um, you know, a couple other things to kind of drill, drill into your day in the life example. Yep. You know, the first thing I thought of is like, all the, also like if you're wearing an Apple watch or something like your sleep, your sleep is captured in how you slept. And if you woke up in the middle of the night, maybe we can tell if you have um, whatever the condition is that get, makes you get up in the middle of the night and pee all the time. Right. So maybe, maybe they send you some sample medicines, right. Or in the, and, and we, your example kind of was all around the, the phone and tracking all the phone yep. and, and, and the, but, but think about this, you stop at shell versus Chevron and you make a purchase with your credit card. Well, that credit card purchase is data that goes up. Mm -hmm. And now if there, if, if these brokers have the ability to suck all this data up, they mm -hmm. can correlate the data and, and begin to paint more of a picture of you from all the disparate data sources. Yeah. And, and really draw a picture of you, which gets even more creepy, right? Well, and, and, and Jerry, that's exactly right, man. It's the, you know, the uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about the phone because right now for me, that's the most ubiquitous piece of equipment that we've got. Everybody's got one with them. Yep. You're hardly ever without it. And, you know, if you're in the very, very vast minority that doesn't have a phone, chances are your data is still being collected because someone beside you is putting your information on social media or talking about what they're doing with you. Mm -hmm. uh, etc. I like what Haircut Fish said about Facebook. Uh, I don't care what these companies say, they access your camera, they access your microphone, they access all of that data, when they're open, when they're not open. And so they all claim, uh, you know, it, it, for me, it's not necessarily when you uh, are googling something, right? Because you just assume that's going to be commoditized, and it's going to be captured and all that. Mm -hmm. And it's not even when you're looking for something on Facebook. It's when you're talking about it. That is the most insidious for me. It's like, dude, I am just having this conversation. And next thing you know, you start to get requests. You start to get advertising just around mm -hmm. that. And it's because mm -hmm. they're, 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 they're accessing your microphone. Um, and then we didn't talk about the Alexas and all the smart homes and the Internet of Things and all the sensors around your house that are collecting data from you and are, and are pulling that up. Uh, the old Alexa joke, right? You've probably heard this one before that... Um, Husband and wife get a new Alexa and the husband whispers to the wife. He said, don't talk out loud. NSA is listening. And the wife looks at him kind of concerned. And then the husband starts laughing. And then the wife laughs. And then Alexa laughs. <laughs> um, but for me, you know, we, we've opted into all of this. Uh, and there's a couple of, couple, of, couple of things that really bother me about that that we'll get into. But, you know, first is the, the, the thought of informed consent. You know, how many people really read the consent forms that they're signing or clicking on to get an mm -hmm. app and where yeah. these folks are burying that data and explaining all the things that they're going to pull from you. But they bury it in Paris 77 of a document that you're never going to read anyway. And yet we're considering that as consent. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I always found the consent forms to be kind of kind of trash. And, you know, 
We're seeing and the United States does not have excellent privacy laws, right? Some states have privacy laws that are okay, but by and large, the privacy laws aren't great. And there is a push right now for a federal privacy law. But interestingly, I don't know if you saw this, Charles, but interesting, one of the um, considerations of a federal privacy law is that every state would not be able to go above whatever the federal privacy law, which is actually kind of counterintuitive. Usually you have to meet the minimum federal requirement, and then you can stack on top. Yep. They are saying at the federal level, this will be a federal law and states are not allowed. So obviously states like Maine, Illinois, California are losing their mind because they're like, you're going to water down our privacy law in order for a federal one. Uh, and of course the corporations aren't really, you know, not all politicians are funded by big tech, but many of them are. And it's not in big techs. Big tech has a perverse incentive to not see that legislation move forward, even though it would be good for the greater society because it misaligns with their profit driven mission statement. Yeah. Uh, 110%. I mean, look, this is no different than uh, Purdue Pharma wanting to lobby to, to not restrict opioids. This is the same as big oil not wanting to restrict drilling oil, which I've yeah. been in support of. Uh, the oil, not the restricting. Um, and big data, of course. Big money turns into big money that you can spend by influence. I mean, look, that's just the way that that's that's the way the process works. Um, I didn't realize how important this was until a couple of things came up in my life. First, GDPR trying to do work out in Europe and trying to dig up information about people there as part of my my company's, you know, what we do. GDPR makes it really hard. And I'm like, mm -hmm. huh, that's interesting. Uh, the second piece of that is California, California's privacy laws. Yep. Uh, you know, today, I don't know if you guys have ever done this or ever really thought about it this way, but if you Google yourself and look how much information available is available about you online, and I'm not talking about the information like your phone number or anything like that, or even your address. Okay, fine, that's out there. I'm talking about the picture of the inside of your house and the floor plan that's still on Zillow or still on Redfin or wherever. Yeah. Uh, everything that you'd want a case about your house to figure out how to break in and take you take you hostage or kidnap you is, is right there online for you. California has made it easy to be forgotten on the internet. You know, you find your your personal identifiable information, your PII, you submit a request to the state of California and it gets taken down. Uh, that is super powerful. I work with a lot of clients, high net worth individuals that want to be private, you know, for, for pretty legitimate reasons. I think we all should want to be private, but they have, you know, even more incentive for it. And you're able to get that information and get it taken down. And I think that is really interesting. And California's unique like that. And I don't usually speak too favorably about California except for the weather. Uh, and some of the people, but uh, that's a pretty nifty little feature that they've got going on. That That is cool. It makes me think of another interesting um, aspect uh, because of this specific capability that you're talking about. So there is another kind of piece of surveillance, for lack of a better term, that big tech ingests, and that is people in photographs, right? So now it's very easy for uh ai to look at a, fo a photograph and be like that's charles like like this place heart this play card right in front of us right right above me right this thing's all mm -hmm. over the internet and it scans it says that's charles finfrock i don't care if it's got glasses on i don't care if it's got facial hair that's charles finfrock all day long throw it in the charles finfrock pile now there is a company called clearview ai which has some very powerful downright creepy level of capability to take this photo right here 
and then find pretty much every photo of this person from different ages, from different, you know, facial hair, haircut styles, and basically give it to you and tell you where it's at. Um, so first of all, the, the, the reason I bring up Clearview AI is because it, it, it plays into this surveillance uh, issue uh, and that they're basically selling it and they claim that all that information was OSINT. But here's the thing, Charles, I own this picture, right? Like essentially, like you gave me the rights to use it, but this is my play card. I've, I've reinterpreted it. So if you ask for California to take it down, like they don't, this is my picture, right? So I don't know if they have the rights to do it. And then also if you're walking by in the background of a photograph, do you have the right to request that that photograph, which is a picture of me and my wife on our anniversary at Disney or whatever, be taken off the internet because it's not your photo, it's my photo. And it gets very murky. Uh, and, and these are the margins that these kind of companies I feel like operate in in order to skirt certain legislation. Yeah, no, you know, and it's a really interesting perspective. I mean, <clears throat> my right to privacy potentially infringes on your right to free speech. Yeah. You're right to post a photograph. I, I think those are some really interesting uh, intellectual conversations and ideological conversations to have. Jerry, have you ever heard of the term perturbation? Perturbation? Perturbation. No, perturbation. no I'll have to Google it. <laughs> All right, so check it. Clearview AI is awesome. I mean, awesome like if you want to hunt people on the interwebs. Yeah. Uh, not awesome if you like privacy. Not awesome, you know, uh, uh, in 99.9% .9 of occasions, not awesome. Mm -hmm. If you want to hunt people on the internet, awesome. One of the things that you can do, and, and again, this is for the wackos, or not the wackos, this is for the privacy enthusiasts out there. Okay. Uh, you can take photographs and you can add in pixels using uh, programs that are available online that will defeat the algorithms that are used to do photo matching and image matching. And it doesn't change the nature of the photograph at all. It just changes a few of the pixels that moves them around It adds some things in so that when it runs that Clearview AI algorithm, it makes you disappear and you, the, the pictures don't match. Now, anybody, I love those uh, photo matching uh, services, <laughs> although I will say Clearview AI is uh, tops of the pops and it's really hard to get access to, but it's it's a really powerful tool. Super scary. Yeah, I mean, my understanding was it was for, you know, law enforcement and you had to dis dis um display uh legal use cases and all this other stuff but guys again it's capitalism for profit money talks right if you've got a million dollars and we saw this with a, a pegasus software from nso group if you've got a million dollars a 10 million dollars or 50 million dollars you know i'm a little bit more inclined to listen to you <laughs> like i'm sorry tell me just tell give me the 50 million and tell me you're going to use it for a good reason and i won't follow up with you right Plausible deniability. I mean, look, you're not wrong. Uh, other than $50 million is a lot. You'd, you'd be surprised at how uh, uh, moderated the price point is uh, to get access to these types of uh, data sets. And, uh, and, look, and just as soon as you think that everybody's playing straight out there, then there's data brokers that will buy it, buy it legitimately from the primary seller and will turn around and aggregate it and resell it. It's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, John Oliver, I've talked about it on the show in the past. John Oliver from last week tonight actually has a banger of an episode on data brokers. I don't know if you've seen it, Charles, but it's it's a very well-researched uh, piece of, um, you know, I guess documentary for lack of a better, satirical documentary. Yeah. Um, so 
let's let's dig into this, Charles, if if we can, as my uh, digital assistant here lights up. I'm not talking to you. Um, let's dig into this for a second. What do you say? Because I used to be this guy, okay? Like maybe 10 years ago, I was this guy. I've come way around, but I'll, I want you to talk about it. Which guy, Jerry? Who are you 10 years ago? What, like, you know, I'm not I'm not going out of my way to like, you know, put my stuff on the front page of the news, but I don't do anything illegal. I'm not that interesting. Right. What What's the big deal with privacy? Why, why, Charles, are you pushing for privacy so strong? You got something to hide? I was that right. guy. Okay, right. I'm not that guy anymore <laughs> right. uh, by any stretch of the means. So so here's where I think it gets really interesting. Well, first, before we jump completely off of that, just to talk about the, yeah. the people who aren't collecting it, right? Another quote I'm going to borrow from somebody, companies that are not monetizing your info are leaving money on the table. And so mm. if you're invested in a public corporation that's got access to all this data and they're not monetizing it, then they're not doing the needful for you as a stockholder to help increase the value of the company. So let's, you know, let's put that right there. All right. Why do I care? If I'm not doing anything illegal, if I'm not doing anything I'm ashamed of, why should I care this much about privacy? Here's where I think it gets really, really interesting. Because, look, do I want to do I want a coupon for a Big Mac whenever I drive by a, a, a McDonald's because they know that I like Big Macs? Sure. Why not? That doesn't bother me. That sounds pretty good right now, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> Throw in the extra fry. Forget about it, man. I mean, you know, my arteries are clogging, but whatever. Uh, so that's not bad. Where it gets funky to me is when they take this full consciousness about your life and they start to manipulate your behavior or cause behavior based on their full consciousness of your data. That's where it gets really nasty. And the the good part of that is they're going to get me to go to McDonald's because they're going to throw in a large fry with my Big Mac and that's cool. Uh, but where it's not cool is the study that Facebook did a couple of years ago where Facebook did a study on its users around an election and they just, you know, just wanted to see what would happen if for a certain segment, you know, their control group, they didn't put any information on it for their test sample. They started putting information out about the upcoming election and then started putting information about where you could vote and then started putting information out about your friends when they voted, that they could click on a thing like I voted. And what they found was they were able to move the needle by a not insignificant percentage, it was 16 or 18 or 20% uh, more votes that they could get from the people that they engaged. Hey, which is fine. If we're trying to encourage everyone to vote equally, that makes a lot of sense. But if I want to, if I've got an agenda as a company, or if I'm a, uh, if I'm someone who has an agenda to get the right people to vote, now I can micro target my people yep. and get them out to vote at the expense of the other side. Or vice versa, I could suppress the vote. Hell, I could even put out fake information about the day to vote or where to vote or something like that that's going to suppress it. That kind of thing for me gets right to the core of our democracy, of our freedoms. When you can start doing things like that to manipulate unwittingly, I think that's just, it's 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 scary. Uh, let me give you one more. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how many people out there played Pokemon Go. Jerry, I bet you were a massive Pokemon Go guy. You were all no, over. No, Charles, you'd be surprised. I'm 42, my friend. I, I missed the Pokemon wave. My kids play Pokemon Go. I was more yeah. of an 8-bit Nintendo guy. Oh, man. Atari 2600, bro. That was where it was at. Yeah, yeah. River um, Raid, obviously. Oh, <laughs> duh. That's what I'm saying. Jungle Hunt. Duh. Yep. Um, so check it. Pokemon Go, right? What's Pokemon Go? What's the point of Pokemon Go? 
uh, Pokemon Go, they sent you out to various places. Well, then they started taking money from companies that would, would put their own Pokemons up outside of places that they wanted you to go. So you could pay the people who ran Pokemon Go to hide these Pokemon in your store or near your store to drive traffic to your store. And again, I feel like if you know you're doing it, that's okay. But I feel like when they're taking things that we're doing and they're subtly manipulating it to get us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do, I, just something about that I just don't, I don't care for. Yeah, I was unaware of that, but um, but you know, to to a point. I mean, I remember I went up to Massachusetts for about four or five weeks this summer. And one of the activities that I did with the kids, you know, a couple times a week, we just hop in the car and go Pokemon going or whatever. And, you know, it, like, not that we went into a department store or something like that, but there were many like, oh, pull into this parking lot, pull into this business. You know what I mean? And didn't even think twice about it, just pulled right in. And I could, I could easily see being like, well, I'm low on gas. I'll just get gas while we're here or let's run in and buy, you know, uh, you know, chips or sodas or whatever. You know what I mean? So like, Yeah. It is interesting that the subtle kind of, I don't want to say manipulation, but the subtle, um, like putting your hands on my shoulders and turning me and p gently pushing me towards uh, something is con is concerning. Uh, that's um, it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a subtle, those subtle, subtle things that happen that change significant. And look, you know, you know, I used to work for the government. You know that, you know, allegedly my previous agency, you know, may or may not have tried to influence public perception and behavior in some places. Um, but that's the thing. You know, you look at what foreign governments have done to try to influence our elections. Uh, you look at the ability, you know, the old Cambridge Analytica, where they're pulling- I was just about to bring that up, yeah. Yeah, off of Facebook and then using that to target. Uh, you know, in the, in the best case, you can micro-target communities for the appropriate advertisements that's gonna, you know, motivate your base or, or repress the other side, uh, which is, I don't know. I guess that's okay. But when you start to have foreign entities that are doing it, or you start to have corporations that are doing it just to increase profit. I don't know. It just, yeah. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little slippery, you know? So one of the things that I, I comes to mind is, you know, this direction towards Orwellian, right? So if we look at, you know, different societies around the world, some of them are under mass surveillance through um, governmental government surveillance, right? Authoritative regimes. Not you calling know. anyone out, but maybe it rhymes with Bina. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. And then, you know, in the United States, it's corporate, basically, it's corporate surveillance. And as you mentioned before, the individuals who are the wealthiest in the United States, Zuckerberg, Bezos, um, well, Musk is actually the richest, but you know, that he doesn't fit my argument right now. You know, so I'm not going to say him, but Bezos and Zuckerberg, um, you know, their business is, I mean, obviously Bezos sells product, but if guys, if you don't think that Amazon is weaponizing the data, you're dead wrong. Um, and, and just as a quick aside, I want to point something out because Amazon got in trouble for this. I, I don't see it as much anymore, but every product Amazon sells, right? They have metrics on it. They know that they sell a hundred million yoga mats or a hundred million dog water bowls, right? Just, just random stuff, right? Three foot USB cords. Well, if you've ever seen Amazon basics, the Amazon basics line of product, I don't know if you've ever seen these, uh, Charles, but Amazon makes a product line called Amazon basics and they don't do everything. They only do certain things, but they do things that they sell the most of. And whenever you Google yoga mat, 
it'll literally have like the top seller and then the Amazon basic one right next to it. And they got in trouble for like predatory practices and weaponization of seller, not sellers, like not us as consumers, but the actual vendors who were selling their stuff on Amazon were, were saying it was a monopoly or anti, um, antitrust approach yeah. because you're basically, you're, you're seeing that we are selling the most yoga mats and you literally made the exact same product and put it next to it. And, and they can control what shows up. They could, they could make that yoga mat never even show up and just have the Amazon basics one show up. So it gets really, um, you know, you want to talk about for profit. I can't think of a more egregious example than, you know, that because Amazon doesn't have to invest in 500 different products and see which ones work. They just pick the, you know, and it's weird stuff too, right? Like a three foot USB cable, a dog bowl and a yoga mat and, you know, throw another zero on Bezos's check count. Well, and I think the wild part of that is just like you said, Jerry, there, it's easy, right? What's selling the most? Mm -hmm. What can I go out and recreate at the biggest profit margin? You don't even have to take the take. The, you don't have to conduct any research. You don't have to conduct any, you know, product demo and sell it and see how it goes. No, you just you stand on the shoulders of everybody else that's done that. And it's yeah, I mean, and I don't know. Should, should we like that or should we not like it? Do I like getting a yoga mat for two dollars cheaper than I would have before? I don't yeah. know. I'll tell you what, too, and, and the way the global economy works, they could probably source it directly from the same factory overseas that makes that yoga mat and say, listen, we'll buy 10 million of them. Yep. Give it to us for 50% off. And then, yep. you know, we'll, you know what I mean? So, like, it, it, it is it is crazy uh, how that happens. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just like flipping out, going off on a tangent here. But, yep. well, you know, let me, so let me let me flip it around, though, Jared. Uh, do we. How do we feel about manipulating behavior for the good? Like when I wear my Fitbit and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't remember exactly what it says, but it's something along the lines of get your fat ass up and go out and walk because you've been sitting for too long. Um, Stand up and breathe. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Put, the, put that chip down. Um, you know, and it's, and it's kind of good for us. Is that a, is that a good thing? Do we like yeah. that? Do we support so yeah. And I mean, it gets back to your point earlier about like, you know, you drive by a McDonald's and you eat Big Macs that it, it knows because of the credit card transactions and mm -hmm. you have a McDonald's app and everything that, yeah, you know, once a week you do like to treat yourself to a, a Big Mac. So you get a coupon for a dollar off. That's that's great. And, you know, healthy living, mental health, all these things like I, I, I think it's good and altruistic. But the problem is, and I say this about anything um, when it comes to surveillance, and I'm thinking more extreme, like backdoors on iPhones and stuff like that, it's fine when the person in charge, the person making the decisions or whatever, has altruistic motives and is doing it for a good cause. But it's just, you know, it could be a month, it could be a year, it could be, you know, whenever, a finger snap later, and the person in charge, the person making that decision changes their motives. And now you're, you're in this mechanism and it's it's not good. So so okay, okay, Charles. Conditioning. Fitbit, fit Fitbit, right? Yeah, like so you're using Fitbit all the time. Okay, it's great, it's great, it's great. Um, and now, um, you you know like I don't know, you you throw it on your uh, your spouse because or your your girlfriend or whatever because you're in, expecting infidelity. Now you're using it as like a tracking device or something like that, right? That's a, a little bit of a different use case, uh, but it's it's one that comes to mind right away. Um, as far as the Fitbit stuff goes. 
Jeez, Jerry, um, how's your life going these days? Oh, my my life's perfect. <laughs> but but so I'm trying to like in my mind while hosting and producing and talking to you about this very interesting topic. I'm trying to think of an interesting example. So I could I could imagine this. How's this for nefarious? Okay, Fitbit, altruistic. You're feeling good. You're feeling healthy. Based on the telemetry, based on the data gathered, and based on previous examples, because precision, <clears throat> precision medicine is a thing that's coming, okay? And just let me define precision medicine for a second, because it's important for what I'm about to say. Precision medicine is where a custom treatment plan is made for you, not take two aspirin and call me in the morning, not most people just take antibiotics and they're okay. It's like based on your health history, your family history, your current conditions, all of these conditions, this exact medicine treatment is for you and you alone. It's precision medicine. Okay. So Charles, you're doing your Fitbit. It's getting all this information. And then it notices something. 98% of people who die of a heart attack in six months or 98% of people who die from pancreatic cancer in six months demonstrate these five key factors and you're demonstrating all five now like i'm not interested in insuring you first of all because it's going to be a very expensive treatment plan and i am into making money not paying for medical treatment plans right so you could you could easily step a couple steps and see where oh like this guy's going to be sick let's get in front of it before he becomes present he's not presenting sick and yeah. we'll, we'll cut him off or something like that and say it's for a different reason, like you're a liability or whatever. And then a month later, all of a sudden you're wicked ill and you're like, well, what the hell? Like that, that is not, that's not science fiction. What I'm, I'm telling you guys right now, there is been uh, documented evidence of people who have been, you know, caught early, early screened essentially because of telemetry from their health, uh, health apps catching indications of some abnormal behavior that was kind of below the surface and not easily detectable. Did you freeze, Charles? Oh, I'm here. Uh, okay, yeah. I'm, thoughts on that? Um, Gary, I am super sorry, man. I got caught up reading some of these messages in the chat. Pretty interesting. Oh, no, no, no. It's good. It's good. That Look. that happens. Hey, chat, everybody. Way to go. Do we have... Good, good way to go chat you got charles very you very got nice. me you got me no look, so Char charles what i was just saying is like yeah. uh, i was given an example of weaponizing that health yeah. data uh yeah. it's it's good to treat you but then now you're seen as a liability so we're going to cut ties with you before you, you know, I know turned, it I, as you were writing that i turned right around and wrote uh you know health insurance but also car insurance what mm -hmm. happens when you can't get car insurance because you're a you're a jerk driver uh is that fair should we be able to do that same with the health insurance like you said i mean look the wearables are one thing. I mean, DNA information is another, uh, you know, should, should you be able to use that information for it? And that's where I would like to be altruistic and think that people will use this information for good. They'll see that signal that six months from now means you're going to have a massive heart attack and will help save your life. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that that will turn into fire them, cut them off of insurance because we're going to have a big bill coming up here. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I haven't seen too many examples in human history where altruism wins out over no greed no. And, and personal personal uh, uh uh interest yeah and bob bob calls minority report i mean th that that is the quintessential oh. example of yeah. uh <laughs> pre-crime uh yeah. and, and guys i know like you might be sitting there listening to this conversation and thinking like oh come on jerry like the idea that they're going to detect some heart attack like let me give you a more real example okay because this there's this has been documented let's say you get pregnant 
right? Congratulations, Charles, you're pregnant, right? And you don't want your employer to know because they don't want to lay you off and you want to take maternity leave, which in some, you know, some countries, maternity leave is three years, right? Well, you got to be like, the company's going to be absorbing that cost and times are tight, revenues uh, slim. Let, let's, let's lay this person off and before, you know, maternity leave happens and let's do it before we know, before they announce they're pregnant. That way it doesn't, we don't get a lawsuit around discrimination. Right. That happens all the time. I mean, I know personal stories of people who have been let go, not because they're pregnant, although it seemed wildly convenient that they were about to deliver. So that's another that's another kind of uh, use case that I could easily see. But I agree with you. Altruism. What, what's the famous line from the Batman movie? You, you, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to be the villain. Right. I mean, yeah. All these yep. things start off altruistic and then it's like, you know, either greed or or societal station. We see it in other countries, too. Right. Like I'm not going to name any particular country, but there's some countries that use a social credit score. Right. We have credit card scores for finance. Right. Can you get a loan? What's your interest rate? Because of how reliable you are to pay back. Well, in some countries, they have social credit scores. You can't even live in this section of town because you typically frequent you know, porn shops or you, you make purchases at liquor stores every single day. You, you can't have this job or, you know what I mean? Or you can't drive a car. Like it, it goes way over, uh, in some countries as far as deciding what you have access to as an individual. Your social credit score then determines your access to resources, access, uh, uh impacts your access to travel, to jobs, to, to all of that. I mean, that is, that's significant. That yeah. is significant. And yeah, I don't mind calling out China on that. I mean, everybody should be tracking on that because that is the Orwellian scary future. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they, yeah, that's an interesting one. So let me ask you this. What do we, what do we do about it? How exactly. do we legislate this to protect privacy? How do we legislate this to get, to get surveillance capitalist companies to rein this in or reel it in. Uh, you want my thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think first of all, uh, you'd have a hard push on this one, but I think the only way to do it is to get public, um, public awareness at a level that is mainstream, right? Like these data brokers, if, if you, if I named you the name of the data brokers, you wouldn't even recognize them. They are faceless conglomerates that you've never heard of. And they are some of the wealthiest companies in the world. Um, getting in front of them, having some type of transparency. The thing is, it has to be accessible, though. It can't be like a 500-page government document disclosing uh, you know, a transparency report because no one's going to read it. It has to be, un unfortunately, at least in the United States, it has to be made in an entertaining, digestible way, which is why that John Oliver piece... Uh, resonated so well, at least with me, is because it, it was a serious topic, but it was done in a way that was interesting, accessible, and, and you wanted to consume it versus slog through it. I think that that's one thing. Another thing I think would be obviously uh, federal regulation. But um, one key thing, and I'm pulling this from a conversation from last week's guest. If you were here, you all remember Liz Wharton, attorney at law, was our guest last week, um, Charles. And we talked about how in Indonesia just passed a federal privacy law that if a company is found violating the privacy law, it's 2% of your business's annual revenue fine and eight years in jail for somebody. And I think when you add that level of um, cost, 
right? Like the 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 skin in the game, because, yeah. dude. And I know this is your you're my guest, but I'm, I'm now I'm getting spicy here. Okay, I got a spicy sounder. Spicy! Okay, listen. Here's my thing. Like Meta, Facebook, whatever, gets a twenty nine million dollar fine for doing something in Ireland. Dude, twenty nine million dollars, like. That, that like you reach into your pocket and pull that out. That's yeah. not even going to the CFO and getting it signed off, right? TikTok, four point four billion dollar company, thirty million dollar fine. Like, just you know, keep the change. Basically, here's a hundred right. million dollar bill. Keep the change. So, financial penalty is ineffective in my opinion. And you could make the argument that all the intention of it is to basically grease the budgets of the organizations that are fining them. And say what you will about that. But that money does go somewhere, right? Yep. Um, so I think that we need to introduce criminal like jail time, basically, uh, for the CEO, for example. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and only then I feel like the individual person will feel obligated and committed to being like, holy crap, like I really need to think through this. And I'm not saying they can't collect the data, right? I mean, it's free society, capitalism, and all that. But if there was like higher levels of transparency and you had to be very overt about what you were doing with the data or, you know, risk jail time, I feel like, you know, more it, people would do it. Businesses would do it. People would talk about it. it. It would at least help individuals make their own decisions. And don't even get me started about cookies on websites and how there's like the accept all cookies button or like go through the most painstaking like click through forms that's different on every site. Any, anyways, so that, that's what I would do. The The thesis of my argument, Charles, in conclusion, is jail time for CEOs. <laughs> Go. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> a couple of thoughts. <laughs> so one, I like the increasing awareness bit. I mean, I feel like people kind of understand it, but maybe don't get into it as, as much as they, you know, they don't know all the different ramifications about how the data is sold and resold and resold and resold. Uh, so the awareness piece, I like quite a bit. And that was one of the reasons I suggested this topic because I knew it was on my mind and I want to kind of reach out and see, is this something that other people think about? So I like the awareness Two, pain. Pain is deterrence. I like that quite a bit that if you don't play by the rules, we have to have rules, but then if you don't play by the rules, it's a meaningful fine. I like the percentage of net revenue. Now you can play a lot of different things with, mm -hmm. you know, the way that works, but at the same time, yes, your $36 million to Facebook is, is a nickel to you and me. So it's got to be meaningful. I like that percentage of revenue. Uh, I would say probably percentage of gross vice net. That way they can't play any play any games with the revenue to yeah you know. yeah tax uh, harvesting or whatever. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But let me let me throw out another one for you. Sure. So you know if you live in Alaska, right? You don't pay taxes, uh, but you also get, if I understand it correctly, you also get a little bit of a, a a check. You share in the revenue of the natural resources that are being extracted from the ground. What if we gave people the opportunity to own their data and opt in to data sharing agreements that paid them back money, mm -hmm. right? If you come and mine my land for minerals or for oil or something like that, I own my land that I can sell you the rights to it. And then we can share in the benefit. Why can't we do that with our personal data? If you're going to take it and use it and you're going to enrich yourself from it, why don't you give me a piece of it? Yeah, I think that that is a fine idea in theory, in theory. Um, I think it's a fine idea. In fact, I think if you said, hey, listen, uh, put this belt on. Like if you were overt, like, hey, listen, we want to track everything about you. Okay. Yeah. 
and we'll send you a check for a hundred bucks a month. No yep. questions asked. People would line up for it, right? They probably, you know, I could imagine it getting perverse where like, you know, I, I throw some belts on my kids too. I take their hundred bucks each a month. Um, yep. you know, I slap one on my dog. I make fictitious people, whatever I, I could see. I could see it, but I do like the idea. The, the one challenge I would push back and I hate to be like, a, I'm not a naysayer, but in the healthcare space, I worked in healthcare for six years and there was always this struggle of not just HIPAA, but empowering the patient to have access to their own data and be able to go to different doctors and not just for the convenience of like shopping doctors or anything, but like if you go to your primary and then you go to a specialist and then you go to another specialist and all this, like it, it it's easier for all that data to be commingled and allow the treatment team to give you the best care of service. If the data is kind of centralized and essentially like you have a USB drive with your healthcare data on it. But the reality is most individuals, and I hate to be, I hate to be like, saying most, but I feel true about this. Like most individuals aren't prepared to handle that data in a way that would be appropriate from a protection and a security perspective and from a, just a maintenance perspective, right? They lose it. They misplace it. They don't put their right password. Carl puts the wrong password on their Google drive share that holds all their personal data. So I think it would really go out the window. Um, you know, so, so there is that part, but if you're just talking about someone opting in, I, I think there would be a, a wide adoption. Um, and I actually think it would probably make this slippery slope pitch even higher, a, a higher degree where people would like, like say, let's just say meta Facebook is collecting like 40% of your data, right? Just to kind of make, but not, let's not get into the details of what data, just 40% yeah. of your possible data. If they said, Hey, we'll give you a hundred bucks a month, but you gave us 80% of your data, people opt in, right? And then it becomes social norms and whether, you know, I'm not saying whether you opt in or not, but they're just collecting wholesale data, doing more with it and selling it at a higher price. Um, you know, so I don't know if it's a fixed rate or if it's a revenue share percentage, yeah. but I, I, I like the idea. I just, I think ultimately big tech would screw, um, you know, I guess, you know, um, uh, Neo or Matrix, right? Little well, guy. yeah, the little guy. I'm, I'm thinking of you. I mean, we're just basically one step from being plugged into the Matrix at that point, where you're just like a little battery, f like, fu like fueling the system, the machine. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's really hard to have these kind of conversations and not come off sounding a little weird. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like that's where we are as a society. Mm hmm. Right. We are closer to the minority report or the matrix or these things where we're becoming unwitting pawns. And there are these separate sort of I don't want to sound like a wacko, but like the societal overlords that just play by different rules. Mm -hmm. And we become the product that they productize, whether we agree to it or not. And right now they're sort of tricking us. They, they put it into Para 77 other terms agreement. So we we're voluntarily doing it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, well, now you don't have a map on your phone. Or if you don't, now we don't have, now you don't have the things that we've come to count on for life. It's, 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 uh, yeah. yeah. It's weird. Well, I mean, and that is the problem. I mean, it, it, it's like internet, like, okay. So my wife and I are, you know, entertaining, you know, moving or whatever. And like, you know, you, you'd love it. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Maybe we will. But, but so like, but for me, for me, and granted, I do simply cyber and, and work remote and all this other stuff. But for me, 
High-speed internet is the one requirement. Like ga gas for like the, because I like to cook on gas. Gas is my second requirement. But like I won't, if a house doesn't have fiber going to it, I don't even want to hear about it. I don't want to see it, nothing. And my phone, my phone, if I like, I, my phone got wet or something like that the other day. And like, I, I had a new phone within like three hours. You know, like I, like I need this. Like I've been conditioned the way I live, the way I operate. I need this. Uh, in fact, I, I, you know, my phone is my wallet at this point, but at one yeah. point in my life, I had a phone and a wallet and it used to be terrifying. If you lost your wallet, your ID, your access to money. And given the two options, I'd throw my wallet in a sewer before I throw my phone in the sewer. You know what I mean? So it's, that's how, how ingrained and dependent, uh, I really have become. And I don't think I'm abnormal. I think I'm actually probably a pretty typical, um, person when it comes to that. So, yeah. Interesting. What, what would the founding fathers, how would the founding fathers react to surveillance capitalism? Yeah, it's a good question, but you know, to, to take it back a little bit, which still applies to your question, you know, you talked about, you know, the tech overlords, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I love uh, Clint's uh, comment there from Ready Player One, uh, the ultimate surveillance capitalism. Uh, with I don't know if you saw Ready Player One, Charles, but with the the, the, the you know it's all a VR world, and yeah. the the lead capitalist guy, of course, is the bad guy, and he's talking about he can sell eighty percent of the visual cortex of what you can see in VR with pop up ads, like it's nineteen ninety five. Anyways, um, you say the tech overlords and everything like that. Like I know the United States, and this is this might be a, a take that some people don't like i do try to be very even and objective and cyber focused but this is an opinion and one that I, again you may not like and, and this may push you away from me um we talk about living in the united states as like land of the free you know i have a dream like i you know you could be anything you want and i don't believe that i i, I believe in our current society structure we have a caste system like other countries that are very overt about their caste system, but there are the wealthy elite uh, and that make decisions and, and govern policy and have access to money and power that major, majorly impact and affect the global, po the, the, the um, United States population and society. And then within that, that, that middle class, right? There's tiers of that middle class where they're kind of like jockeying for stuff. And then unfortunately there's another class uh, of individuals that I, I, I mean, I almost think of them as like, it's terrible, but like, it, like invisible people. Like when you see someone who's in like dire, dire straits on the street, you almost look away because you don't even want to engage. And it's a terrible human trait, but it's one that people do all the time and it's awful. Um, so anyways, so we're kind of in a caste system. And like you said, those people at the top, they are incredibly incentivized to stay at the top. And, you know, surveillance capitalism helps fund their regime for lack of a better term fund their lifestyle and it's a it's a it's an engine that's feeding into itself so yeah you know we we have these ideas and these interests but it would take a revolution effectively to unseat what is currently happening and, and clint mentioned earlier in chat that like we've gone way too far down the road that we're conditioned into a certain set like to, to back up to back up would wouldn't take us back out of surveillance capitalism it might take us back a little bit of less surveillance capitalism but you're not the toothpaste is out of the tube man you're not getting it back in you might get it cleaned up a little bit but that's that ships left the harbor
Yeah. And that, that, that's kind of where I came up with the, you know, at this point, yeah, we're not going to go backwards. I don't believe. So can we do profit sharing or revenue mm -hmm. sharing or in there, mm -hmm. is there some way that we can participate in it? You know, where we're being mined for, for resources. Can we, yeah. Can we, can we share in some of the benefit of it? Let me throw something completely different out there. I don't know if we've talked about this, but I've certainly talked about it a lot with different people. China was going through the same thing, right? So China's going through the same thing. And before the 2020 presidential elections, the Chinese government saw what happened in the U.S. And from their view, right or wrong, but from their perception, a handful of wealthy tech entrepreneurs that controlled means of communication censored the president influence the election by censoring the president. Now we could argue about terms and conditions and right or wrong or whatever. Their perception was that's what happened. And I don't think it was any coincidence that I've been told by quite a few of my Chinese friends, it certainly was not a coincidence that it wasn't too long after that, that uh, Jack Ma, who marginally criticized the government and the least amount of criti criticism of the government uh, disappeared for a long time. And Jack Ma disappearing, for those who don't know, Jack Ma, CEO, founder of Alibaba, it would basically be like if um, Jeff Bezos disappeared because he spoke out against the U.S. government yeah. for like six months. And in that time, you know, the government brought to heel a lot of these really significant tech entrepreneurs, all with the goal of. Don't forget, you know, we let you get rich. We let you mm -hmm. develop these things. But don't forget, you know, who has the power in this country? I think it's not saying I'm advocating for that at all. I just think it's interesting how different people react to these different centers of power that are coming up generally based on money that's derived from big data and surveillance capitalism. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's just an interesting, interesting point of comparison. Yeah, absolutely. And really quick, I just want to say shout out and thanks to Gregor for the super chatty or super sticker. Uh, Love that. Thank you so much for the uh, support, Gregor. I appreciate that. And Eminem talking about it being a great episode. Uh, definitely uh, appreciate you coming in from New Zealand. Uh, I agree with you 100%, um, Charles. I mean, especially in China. Um, there has been numerous instances. Again, people in power. I, I'm, not, I'm not even going with absolute power corrupts, absolutely, although I believe that as well. People in power want to stay in power. That is an axiomatic fact like check with yourself, have a real honest conversation with yourself. Anytime you've been in control of something or in power or whatever of anything, it doesn't matter. PTO board, whatever it is, you don't want to be challenged for it, right? You want to hold the power with these tech giants coming up. Like, cause you can see it in the United States. Like basically if China would look at the U S as a model and say, okay, like, let's look at this. It used to be politicians in power, right? And, and Hollywood celebrities were like, you know, whatever had clout, but they didn't really have juice. Now the tech giants have come up and they're the ones who are funding politicians and agendas and stuff like this through lobbyists and donations and super PACs and all that. So when you look at it from China's perspective, they see Alibaba, they see these, these tech companies coming up and making tons of money, which is basically the 21st century equivalent of having a strong army back, you know, back in the day, the generals mm -hmm. were the ones who were the threats to the politicians. So the money's coming up and they're like, oh, we got to get in front of this. And there has been numerous instances. I, I, I can't cite them, but there have been numerous instances where business like, you know, Alibaba or, or some other ones where the they do something that's not 100% aligned with the overall regime. And 
they go dark for a minute, then they come back, they issue a public apology, and then somebody from the U- uh, the U.S., somebody from the, the government is officially appointed to their board and as a senior leader now at their organization until further notice, which will never be, <laughs> never <laughs> have a further notice, right? Yeah, TikTok, right? So, um, you know, it, it's basically, I mean, to me, again, I've been watching Game of Thrones. It's almost the equivalent of like marrying um, someone from the government to uh, someone on in the company, right? Like to, to, to merge those two families and, and keep them close, except you're putting uh, a politician or, or some type of military leader on the board as a, basically a bureaucrat, the eyes and ears yeah. um, to listen and to take the message from on high and bring it to the boardroom and tell them this is what we're doing. Commissar is what they used to call those guys, but it's uh, not not capitalistically correct to call them the the political commissar anymore. Hey, okay. Jerry, I'm just looking at the clock, man. It looks like we're getting to the bottom of the hour. A couple yeah, of thoughts friend. real quick, if I could. Yeah. Just just things that are on my mind. Okay, rapid fire. Go. If we all agree that surveillance capital is okay, and I would rather get the coupon for the large fry when I'm going to get my Big Mac anyway, I think we at least want to do that consciously. We at least want to do that cognitively, not in a zombie fashion where we're led down to that and we're driven by that by people who are taking advantage of our ignorance, taking advantage of our laziness, not to read the agreements or to just take the easy way out and get the free stuff while they're driving us down. I think that there's got to be, just like you said, awareness. We've got to have some good legislation about this and some good conversations, but mostly we just have to have awareness. People have to know what's going on. And if we all agree that this is what we want to do, great. But not just because we're too lazy to educate ourselves and we just, like zombies, march down the march down the path and get taken advantage of. And, and and if we do, it's our own fault, right? If we if we tolerate being drilled like the ground for oil, uh, then then we have nobody to blame for ourselves. But we are the ones that need to keep this conversation going. People who understand technology, not the crazy part, right? Not the tinfoil part, not the tinfoil hat part, but people who really understand the strengths and the weaknesses of this. And so, please, almost like as we're going out there, you know, and you're 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 speaking on behalf of your church, go out there and speak on behalf of technology. Talk to people who don't think like this. Tell them it's an old saw, but if you're not paying for a product, you're the product. Help them understand what this means in real terms. Help them understand the opportunity cost, how much companies are making on their behalf. And somebody on here, figure out a way so that we can monetize it, so that we can sell it. Some UB key for UBIT key for our own data that we can share in the profit, right? Somebody come up with that. I'll buy it. I'll buy that app so that we can share, you know, so that I can I can control my data and sell what I want to sell and not what I want to sell want to sell Whew. all right now man no i love it i love it chat loves it too kimberly's all about it jeremy williams bob bob everybody's in agreement like clint wants to get in on the revenue share model um yeah i mean it's it's your data right and if someone's making money off of it it doesn't seem right um you know especially if it's just to get you know a discount at cvs as uh bob bob uh mentioned in chat here so, all right. Well, that's going to do it. Uh, Charles, you know, genuinely appreciate it. I love our conversation. It's, I, I got to tell you, man, it has been too long uh, since we had you on the show. We'll have to make this more of a, at least a biannual, if not uh, quarterly. I, I feel like it's been a year, man, since you were on the channel. I can't even imagine how long it's been. And, and I challenge you and mostly I challenge me and I challenge the audience, dude, let's do this in the metaverse next time. Let's put our goggles on. Yes. Let's go virtual. Let's let's go in. All right. Well, yeah, I'm all in. We'll do it. We'll do it in the metaverse chat. If you guys want, 
want Charles back, let me know. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be bringing him back. He's he's on the rotation. Uh, there's some people who come and go. You're in the rotation, Charles. Obviously, we've got the sounder. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. My man, Charles. I love it. All right, hey, so Jack, let's... Yeah, go give, ahead. Give, give me three seconds, if you don't mind. I'm going to pimp myself. Go for, uh, oh, Vigilance yeah, please do. Is my, Vigilance is my company. We do a lot of investigations. We help with privacy services. Uh, we do all of that. Uh, I'm looking for some technical investigators, people that like to work uh, on cybersecurity type work. Uh, we go against scammers. We go against fraudsters. We help protect our clients against uh, people who are impersonating them online. Uh, we do a lot of really cool stuff. Heck, every once in a while we work against horrific pedophiles, uh, which is a lot of, I won't say it's fun. It is uh, important and it's righteous. So if anybody's interested and, in, uh, you know, drop me a line, Charles at VCCI.io, Victor Charlie, Charlie, India dot India Oscar. Uh, hit me up and uh, yeah, I'd love to love to talk to you. One second here. I am getting, I'm dropping this in chat. I've got your website up right here, guys. This is his website. I've just dropped a link in chat to the URL. OSINT, uh, yes. Yes, Bob, Bob, OSINT. Is it Charles? Is it Charles at? Yeah, Charles at. All right. So I'm putting his email. You can go work with Charles. He's a really cool guy. This is his website. Take a look. It's you know it's it's pretty you know easy to identify. It's it's not screaming at you with colors, and there's definitely no pop up that says uh, like oh I see you've been here for five seconds. Like can I help you? Um, so that's definitely good, uh, Charles. Thank you. I appreciate awesome. that, and uh, I hope someone from the Simply Cyber. I would love it if something somebody from the Simply Cyber community uh, was able to come on and be part of your team and help you. Uh, since I am such an advocate of people breaking into the industry. Absolutely. That would be cool. And hey, uh, if you're a North Korean out there and you think you're going to join my team remotely and like fool me, uh, you're not. <laughs> we're hunting you. We're finding you. All the companies that you're applying for, we're tracking you down and we're throwing you out. All right. So, good Good yeah. to know. So just do yourself a favor. If you're a North Korean Lazarus group in here, um, save yourself some time. Charles will, Charles will sniff you out and you'll be all set. Mark up another tree. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, guys, that, that's Charles. Let me, uh, Charles, I'll leave you on screen here. Typically, I push my guests to the green room, but you're such a regular and you're actually part of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing at this point with the sound effects. So, uh, guys, if you don't know, uh, this has been Simply Cyber Live. We have guests every Thursday, like my man Charles down here, talking about interesting topics, delivering education and entertainment, hopefully, um, to you every Thursday. But every single weekday morning, I host a daily cyber threat briefing where I cover the top cybersecurity news of the day and provide expert analysis on each of those stories on how you can use it uh, professionally or how you can use it in a job interview to blow the mind of whoever's interviewing you, okay? So if you're interested, go to simplycyber.io slash streams and that will get you to where you gotta go. That's gonna do it for this week. Thank you so much, Charles. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank Cheers, everybody. My pleasure.